been a star of their season tonight. He showed the world what he could do. My God, a question. An extra gear for the freshman. Touchdown. And the freshman is off. Foot race. <laughs> They're looking at shoe bottoms and nothing else. Into the end zone. Touchdown. The freshman just ran it back to Philadelphia. Welcome, everyone, to the Future Freshman Podcast. Welcome to Episode 17, Season 2, Episode 2. Um, I'm your host, Brandon Sanders. You can find me at CFF University. And, of course, I bring on my very special guest. He's the boss man. I call him. Uh, he is Mr. Austin Nace. You can find him at Twitter, at Mr. At Debbie Dietz. Austin, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I don't get to talk enough freshmen, I feel like. So this is the perfect show. Freshman's in the name. I mean, we we have it to is. do it. So I'm excited to to talk about some quarterbacks here today. Yes, uh, this is the future of our fantasy world, basically, when it comes to football. So definitely wanted to bring a perspective because Austin, he has his grades. He helps with the, the freshman and supplemental guide. He helps with the Debbie guide. And uh, we'll speak about that in just a couple of seconds as well. But um, it's a good one because we can kind of mesh the two worlds of C2C as a whole and then also as CFF Dynasty, where it's a little bit more niche, but it has similar, especially when it comes to the first round, especially when it comes to some of these quarterbacks. So I wanted to bring you on because we just need to have on a discussion. I've been away, so I haven't had a chance. This will be my first time to openly talk about these quarterbacks and what I think about them in the CFF Dynasty landscape. Um, so we're going to get that started. Of course, this is our 2023 cream of the crop quarterbacks edition. Notice the picture for those on YouTube. We're going to talk about that guy. I think he's really important. So uh, first, Austin, since you're here, you're a company man. Of course, we have campuscanton.com. We got a guide coming out here pretty soon. Why don't you tell us about the guide that's coming out? Yeah, May 1st, Debbie Guide uh, releases 240-something. We might have hit 250 total profiles, rankings. Um, all sorts of different stuff in there. So um, it can be found at campuscan.com and some of the members get it with their membership. So go ahead. Uh, you'll get an email on, on May 1st and you can confirm whether you do or not. But if you don't, $20, it's available. Um, and I think it's really good work. Um, uh, really big shout out to to Corey Pereira, uh, Mike Valerie, and, and Dwight Peebles for uh, a lot of the work that they put into it this year. Absolutely. Of course, you can use the NIL tier. Of course, you get all the uh, guides that are available to you and that launches first for you as well. So highly would recommend that. We also are getting ready to start our early stages of the CFF guide for this year as well. So we're very excited about that. Uh, shout out to Corey and Mike. I love the intro for Back to Debbie. Just want to point that out. I haven't been able to openly say that on the show, but I wanted to say that out loud and not in Slack channel. That was an excellent intro and I thought mine was good. So there we go. I got Every one time up. it comes on, I like... You know, it's like in my head for like hours. Like, doo, doo, doo. Yeah, I just walk around the apartment and like sing it. My wife's like, "What? Where is that from?" Like, don't worry. About I was like, "It's it's it. just a thing. It's just a thing." And see, if it wasn't for C two C, we wouldn't have it in our heads. So another reason to go visit campuscanyon.com. All right, we're going to start uh, with the quarterbacks, and we'll kind of get it started here first. There's a guy that has an incredible last name, incredible pedigree, comes from a family. Uh, with an incredible last name when it comes to quarterbacks, and that, of course, is Mr. Arch Manning. Uh, he is the uh, the newest installment of Manning's to go along with it as well. We'll start with his on three consensus. He's ninety nine point five three. He is one of the only, uh, one of the few quarterbacks that is a five star plus. He did commit to Texas to go along with it. Austin, when it comes to 
the arch. Uh, I saw some good things, and I think you and me come from a background, especially NFL. I come from the footballers. We both come from dynasty nerds, so we understand the eye test when it comes to just kind of checking players out and things like that in particular. And I just kind of noticed that Arch, when it comes to his competition where he was at in high school, he was fine. But then there's some things that kind of came up, and that's where mm-hmm. I'm a little bit concerned. But I want to talk about it because I think uh, he's still a Manning. I think I still think he's just figuring things out. If I'm being frankly honest with you, Austin, I just think like I think he's just adjusting to college, man. Like he can't find his ID. His finding he's getting found everywhere on campus, basically. Like I think he's just trying to adjust not being in Newman and being close to his family and finally kind of being out on his own for the first time and, and kind of doing things. So, uh, but I do see some traits that I like. Um, what's some things that stood out about Arch that you did like as far as like coming out of high school? And then what did you think of his process as far as selecting Texas over some of the other offers that he had? Yeah. I mean, thank God that I was not nationally known as a 17 year old on campus at school. Cause man, I, there's some stuff that I just would never wanted people to know. So um, yeah, uh, I feel a little bad for him that he, uh, you know, the, the, the ID stuff amongst other things. Look, I think he's an interesting player because the name Manning, I think it has to mean something. And I think anybody who's telling you that it doesn't is lying to you or fooling themselves. And I don't mean that to be rude. I'm just like, they, there has not been a Manning that has failed yet. We've got at least one Hall of Famer, possibly two out of the family. They all are multi-time or multiple uh, pro bowlers, all pros. They were all very successful collegiate quarterbacks. So I think, you know, even if he were to fail at Texas and failure could mean you know, just doesn't overtake Malik Murphy next year or you know, bombs out completely, he's going to get more chances. So I think first off, just having chances for a quarterback is huge. I mean, we see, we've seen it a ton with a guy like Joe Burrow, you know, really couldn't quite get the chance at Ohio State, goes elsewhere. That second chance was huge for him. Justin Fields, I mean, Will Levis, all these guys. I mean, it's it, it, for a quarterback for some of these guys, they just need the chances to keep happening until something finally clicks for them. So I think, that part of his evaluation is easy. It's, you know, he, he's going to get chances no matter what. And that's a good thing. The the things that I think he, the speed of play is just still a lot for him. We saw it in the spring game. He, I think he processes fine, honestly, like on a, a base level of identifying defenses. He did a lot of stuff where he was like drawing players off sides and, and calling audibles at the line of scrimmage. But it was small time Louisiana high school football. So I think there's just the big jump there. I don't think he looked awful in the spring game. Like I thought it was just what you would expect. You know, none of the quarterbacks, the freshmen have looked amazing. I think Jackson Arnold so far of the top guys has been the one that's looked the best. Nico had that one throw, but but other than that, you know, wasn't wasn't great. Malachi Nelson at USC wasn't great. So I think people are overreacting to that. And you're going to see him slide a little bit. I do think there's a lot of concern here just about depth chart and how he fits in there. And since this is a CFF, um, you know, tilted podcast. I think that has to be considered. So I think of the big five quarterbacks in like a C2C league, I'm probably happy to take him third, maybe fourth, you know, depending on the league. In a CFF one, I'm taking him dead last of the big five. So I think there there are considerations there. But overall, I still think he's extremely talented. I, th- I think a good comp for him is like Sam Howe slash Matt Corral. Somewhere in that range where he's got a pretty good that. arm. He's way more mobile than his uncles were. 
he will lower the shoulder, you know, 6'4", 215. I think he can get to like 225, 230 pretty easily. So I think he he is dual threatish, and I think he if he's unleashed in that way, he can put up a 500 to 700 yard rushing season in college. That that wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. I wanted to point out like it's an intense pressure, especially in the social media age. Like when we, you know, as we were a little bit younger, like near the end, Eli a little bit, but Peyton really didn't have a lot of that. You know, what I'm saying that extra added pressure of what social media being 17, being looked at from like age 14 or in Pop Warner, where you're just like you're the next coming of Manning. So it's like you're going to be tracked. So, I mean, it's a lot for him. It's a lot of pressure to go along with it. Some things I did like, though, is that Arch one, like you were talking about, he's mobile. So he's way more mobile than any of the Mannings, both his grandfather and both of his uncles. So I think like he can put some extra fantasy points on the board or give you some extra yardage if you need to get to that first down. I also like that i saw where he was able to kind of help uh he was able to jump some of the uh the other team offsides which i thought was impressive especially at his age because you really don't see that a lot at high school level as far as them jumping off sides they have to be pretty special to do that and for me that was like i saw that manning connection where it's like yeah that's definitely like a peyton thing i don't think eli did a whole lot of that but at times like he would he would draw off sides and stuff like that so you can see where the cadence the leadership and things like that the qualities of what his last name carries kind of carries on to him as well so he's got some stuff on with it but i'm gonna agree with with you there's some things where um you know the spring game i i think he just needs to kind of you know develop you know like i feel like there's just a lot of pressure like people are expecting him to win against quinn yours right away um i heard some of that talk i heard you know like maybe he should have went to alabama he would have had a chance to start right away i i don't know like even with milrow and simpson and those guys struggling i still don't think arch would be developed right away where he'd be able to take that job from them so um so if C2C, you're saying, you know, go ahead, take them first round, no doubt. And I think freshman supplemental in the first round between that and CFF Dynasty is very, very close. Um, but I, I kind of agree. Like, uh, I know there's a couple guys in, in our Dynasty Leagues that has just flat out said he's taken a Manning. Um, but that might have been before the spring game. So we'll have to kind of reassess. We'll have to, like, reach out to the owner and see what his thought process there as we're getting ready to draft here in a couple months or so. But uh, for Arch, for me, per se, I would say that he would probably be a guy that I wouldn't take for my first round pick, to be honest with you. But I mean, if he fell, like if you're saying like 108, 109, if you're on the turn of the round, I still think it's uh, one to pick up. But you do have to factor in this is a transfer portal age. So this could be one where maybe Arch doesn't work out with Sarkeesian in Texas. Maybe he finds a spot that's best for him where he can use the dual threat ability. So like you said, opportunity is king in the transfer portal age that we live in. Who's to say that he's not going to stay at Texas the whole time. I think it's going to come down to the Manning family and where they want to invest their money and things like that. But they do have ties to other schools. So I'm just saying that he still might be worth uh, an end of a first for me personally for CFF dynasty. Uh, but I, I don't know if I'd take him with my first overall, my second, my third, or my fourth, or anything like that. Um, is it the same sentiments when it comes to C2C, or because he is a Manning, he'll wind up in the NFL? Like he's going to be have to take, like you have to take him like 101 to 105, probably, right? He, I, I haven't really seen him drop further. Like the 108 is kind of like the the last pick that I think you would see him go to. The the top seven or eight players are pretty set. It's like a pretty solid tier, and then you're kind of just shifting guys around in there. So. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're waiting at least a year. And the problem is if he's actually the first CFF, if he's as good as we think he is and he sits this year and then he turns out to be really, really good, then you only get him for two years. Now, granted, they'll probably be two very, very good years at Texas, but I think that's something, you know, that's part of the, the calculus too, the little bit of the game inside the game. Right. 
Uh, so I'm in like even and and there's some there might still be, be some people that want him to transfer and who's to say that he doesn't. I just I don't know if I necessarily see him leaving Texas without a certain you know like saying there's going to be a dogfight between him and Malik Murphy in next year for the starting spot. So uh, depending on who wins that, we'll kind of decide. I think if Mar if Arch is going to you know be that guy in Texas or if he's going to find him another home basically. But I kind of agree. I think uh you know dynasty and things like that it would add up that way. However take what you think. So, you know, for the listener that is like, Hey, I want Manning. And I know I can probably get two solid years out of him. That's a good investment because I think with the talent that he has, it'd definitely be worth it. But I do want to move on to the next guy because I think he's probably one of my favorites. I'll be honest with you. And probably the most well-rounded and that's Mr. Dante Moore who did choose UCLA. Uh, he was originally going to go to Oregon, but swapped it over to UCLA and it made all our CFF hearts very, very happy. Um, just because, uh, you know, we, we knew of Bo Nix probably coming back. So we knew that Dante was going to sit. Um, there's still talk of, uh, you know, possibly Garber starting at UCLA. And I don't know if that is a coaching, like just a, Hey, I want to have a veteran in there to compete for the first one. But for me, I love Dante Moore, most well-rounded deep ball threat. Um, I just think he's just an all-around greater quarterback when it comes to his skills and tangent. Uh, we'll go with his on-three consensus, 99.22. He is also a five-star plus there through on-three. Um, I just love the landing spot. Uh, I, I'll be the first to admit, and this is the first time I've admitted it, Austin, but I am not a college league guy. I, uh, I, I'm a Dante Moore enthusiast, so I know that uh, – that goes against the grain of some of my CFF, uh, you know, co-hosts and stuff like that. But at the same time, like I just see so much talent and opportunity. And now with the weapons, uh, Studevant and all those guys that are coming in that are really good at wide receiver. I think this is a great opportunity for Dante Moore. And even if Garbers is starting, there's only a matter of time where I think Dante takes this one. And I've, I've heard a few podcasts. So, what do you think the odds are of him starting at UCLA as far as like game wise? Do you think he's doing this year or do you honestly think it's a sit down year? Because I I honestly don't see that. I think he could go in the next like three or four games or so. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is the debate that's going to split campus to Canton apart. Um, it it's, is. It's, it's pretty hostile. <laughs> it, it's really bad behind the scenes. No, I think it's it's an interesting debate because part of it is just trying to psychologically figure out what a college coach wants to do. And that's especially with a guy like Chip Kelly, not always the easiest thing in the world. Um, you know, you want a guy as a college football, you have a lot of jobs as a college football coach. You know, your job is to win football games. Your job is to raise money from donors. Your job is to recruit and your job is to win. And I think winning is uh, probably occupies, I don't know, 70, 80% of the pie there at least. And then the rest is occupied by whatever else. So, you know, developing for the NFL doesn't always matter to an extent, you know, obviously you can then recruit off the back of it, but it's not like the, the number one thing it's winning and, and kind of figuring out the, the team as a whole. So a lot of these coaches, they'll default to a little bit of a veteran. Like you, you're saying, you know, Garber sounds like he has the inside track today because he's a veteran. He's been there. He knows the offense, but you also have to take into consideration, you know, just who's the best player. And even if there are some growing pains for a couple of games, if, 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 you think that after a handful of games, a guy can kind of get up to speed to to what they want to do at UCLA, then I don't know how you you really sit him for that long. You know, I I, I think it's man, I, I'm I've at this point, Felix has forced me to just be so entrenched on the Colin Schley starts game one. But I it wouldn't shock me at all if if Dante Moore starts eight games this year ish, somewhere in that category. 
The one thing that I will say about Dante Moore, and I think you know, you talked a lot about him. He's he's kind of I don't know, like Tua ish or Burrow ish, like a, a guy that you know isn't like maximizing like physically gifted, but can do a lot of other really really good things. I do. He, he's not as mobile as you would kind of figure a Chip Kelly quarterback usually would be. So I am interested to see how this offense changes a little bit if they put him in there. Do they have to make some adjustments? Does he run a little bit more? You know, is that something that maybe gets unlocked while he's there? That's it's possible. Um, I don't think Garbers is hugely mobile either. So I, I don't know what that offense is going to look like as a whole this year. But I do think he's really interesting because he probably has, of all the QBs in this class, the best chance to start day one. And I think that obviously matters a lot if you're trying to get fantasy points pretty quickly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Garbers is a standing log. Like, uh, this has got to be like a change in the guard. DTR was way more mobile as far as like his opportunities and getting out of the pocket. I saw a little bit of that in Dante. I don't think he's like completely immobile or, you know, mm-hmm. where he just kind of stands. I just think he's got a great arm. So he relied a lot on his vision, being able to find his receivers and stuff like that. But I, I used to say that Dante can't get out of a pocket. And this is the Pac-12, so we also have to factor that in. The defense is light. Uh, I know USC and a couple others are trying, but other than maybe Oregon, I would say sometimes even that was risky at times. Like we're not talking about Thibodeau and those other guys that were there in the front to begin with way back, you know, a couple of years ago. So I think that Dante, you're right, has the fast track to be on the field ASAP and be the most uh, fantasy reliable. This is um. You know, he's he's my guy as far as the quarterbacks that we're talking about today, as far as the cream of the crop and the quarterbacks, he would be the one that I would focus in CF Dynasty. Um, if I had the 101, it would be very hard to not to take Dante. Um, I know there's some really great receivers, um, and I know we'll talk about those guys in the future in other episodes, but a Zachariah Branch, a few other guys, it would be very hard for me, you know, not to pass up. Um, but at the same time, I think Dante would be my clear start. And if you are struggling in your team, whether it's C2C or in CFF, I would say this is the guy to go after just because one, he's a he's a starter sooner than later. We'll say uh, a lot faster than the other guys. And I think he's the most overall rounded one. Um, was there anything that you saw of concern with Dante or things you think he needed to work on, per se? I know we didn't really talk about that too much with Arch, but I, I think we kind of saw that in the spring game already. But I don't think we've seen UCLA spring game. I don't think that's been there. Or was it televised? I haven't got a chance to look at it. Is that the case? Uh, I, if it was, I didn't see it. I know I a bunch of the Pac-12 were this past weekend, but I, I did not see theirs. Gotcha. But there's, is there anything in Dante's game that you think he needs to develop as far as his first year uh, as a freshman? I have like, I mean, I, I break my notes into pros and cons. All the cons that I have for him are just super nitpicky at this point. Like I, I wrote, you know, he's not, I, I said he's not immobile, but he's not really a rushing threat at this point. Can he learn to do that? Maybe. Um, he, I think sometimes struggles throwing on the run a little bit as well to couple that in. Like if he doesn't have a strong base, he doesn't always get the ball quite there on time. So that's just something to monitor. And I think that can be grown and developed a little bit. And then the last one, just on outbreaking routes, occasionally he's a little bit late, but I think that's more of a timing issue than anything. And I think that's something that he can pick up pretty easily. I mean, it's all, it's all really small stuff. He he's my QB two for C2C. And I think if I was just doing pure CFF rankings, he'd be my QB two as well behind different players on, (laughs) on either one. So I we'll we'll talk about who I think would probably be my QB one for CFF dynasty in in a few minutes. I'm sure. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll at least talk about the top guys and maybe mention a few others that aren't in the slides before we move into the Big Fish Small Pond. All right, so up next, 
of course, is Mr. I'm just going to say Nico because we've all had a hard time saying his last name. Uh, if you want to pronounce it, you may. If not, we can just jump right into. Oh, I'm broken. I can't do it anymore. I was fine with it for the first couple of months we talked about him, and now it's just gone. I can't do it. All right. Well, so well, we're talking about Nico, of course, Mr. Ten, uh, the volleyball star himself who committed to Tennessee. He is an on three consensus 99.01. He is a five star, not a plus. So that was interesting as far as overall. Still trying to figure out the plus thing overall uh, with the it's, consensus. Yeah, it's if everybody, if all the services have him as a five star. So somebody didn't. Sense. I don't remember who it is that didn't have Nico as a five star. Uh, I think it was Rivals or something like that. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to go back and look. But uh, so Nico is with Tennessee. We did get to see a little bit of the spring game uh so he was able to hop in uh you could tell the big difference as far as his height so i don't i don't know about you austin but honestly if he were to ever say if the quarterback was not his go-to if he wanted to convert to wide receiver all he'd have to do is put on a few more pounds and i think he could get up and go get it uh especially with the routes and stuff that he knows like i i just see him as someone that would be just one of those slim reaper wide receiver type situations uh kind of like a Devonte smith type situation I'm not saying he'd ever be at that talent per se but i just saw it as that um but i think nico's got some incredible talent uh as far as his throws, I really am impressed with him. When he does get the time to actually throw it and hit his targets, I think that's where, uh, you know, that's very successful. Uh, of course, we have to worry about Bazooka Joe as far as this this year is concerned. Bazooka Joe didn't get much play because they're just going to rest him. He's going to play first thing. A lot of great weapons at Tennessee. There's a running back that I really, really like that has com- really good comparisons that I thought I either heard on your podcast or on Jared's where the uh, – player tool comparison was like Bo Jackson or something like that. And I'm just like, holy cow. So been digging a little deeper into the Tennessee uh, freshman class a little bit more. Uh, but what are, what are your thoughts on Nico? I know he's tall. Uh, I've always said he needs to put on some more size and look at his arms. And I try not to be that guy that looks at it, but I was like, man, you should probably like do a good bulking season and probably, you know, put on some, a little bit more weight, but I thought that's overall arm and stuff like that. I was pretty talented. So what's your overall opinion on Nico and his, uh, his fit for, for Tennessee? Yeah, he is for CFF dynasty. He is my number one quarterback. Uh, I, I would take him over Dante Moore. um, just because, I mean, they're, it's funny because this is a class where like we we think this is a deeply deeply talented quarterback class and they all went to basically perfect landing spots from the timing and offensive scheme perspective like they're all basically set up perfectly to sit a year and then hop Mm -hmm. into elite offensive systems with probably you know elite or borderline elite options around them so parsing that out but i do think that josh heupel's offense down there at at tennessee gives him just a ton of leeway for some of the things that he either doesn't do well or hasn't really been asked to do at this stage or a little bit of question marks. He does. I mean, he needs to gain weight and I still am pretty skeptical about him as an NFL quarterback. Um, Some of the markers that we look at for some of these quarterbacks coming out of high school, um, like um, uh, rushing market share on your high school team, there, there are some base thresholds that guys need to hit. And for, however athletic people think Nico is, I am a little lower on this, the, I don't think he's as athletic as as necessarily generally perpetuated, but he fell below all the rushing thresholds that we like. Like he he really doesn't run that much. Um, he so that it's kind of a red flag there. He he's very very skinny, like you said, and I think they've said he's close to two hundred pounds now or, or a little bit over it. But I just don't see a frame there to get super huge. I think he'll always be slight for his height. Um, but I think you know he's got possibly the the throws possibly the prettiest ball in the class. Like I think Malachi Nelson's more accurate, but I think in terms of just throwing a pretty ball, Nico's probably number one. He'll always have 
Tennessee, for my money, probably will never have an elite, elite, elite wide receiver prospect go there while he's there, but it doesn't matter because of the offensive scheme. Like, if you just get a guy that's good enough, um, they'll, they'll make it happen. Um, you know, we saw Jalen Hyatt. I think he's a good enough guy. He put up just crazy numbers last year, and I think they'll have similar guys there uh, this year, next year, the following year. So I, I think I, I'm all about him. I play in one CFF Dynasty League. I, my team was very bad last year. I think I'm in Nico range, so that's probably who I'm going to pull the trigger on early. So he's a really good one to to separate the difference between C2C and CFF because C2C, I'm kind of with you, man. Like, I don't know if, can he really do it? Like we've looked at Tennessee quarterbacks, Hendon Hooker. I mean, now he's developed into it, but even like Bazooka Joe, we're talking about Joe Milton, who's going to be the starting quarterback this year. Even him, like, I don't really see him as more than just a backup where I I do kind of see Hooker as like eventual starter, but he has to kind of develop. So the fact that he's getting hype, you know, even the first or second rounds now for, for Hendon Hooker is pretty impressive. I did not see that a year ago, but it makes sense, just especially with the QB needy teams and stuff like that. That's just the NFL for you. But at the same time, like Nico, I, it would be hard pressed, like unless I can see like immense amount of size put on and more tangible stuff than just a really sweet spiral. Like that doesn't translate into the NFL. And that's where, you know, that's where we need to separate the C2C and C and CFF. Like, yeah, he's probably going to start next year because I really didn't see the other quarterbacks really shine. I'd say as good as Nico, you know, uh, but at the same time, like, you know, like, so you're looking at, what, three years, uh, which is great, especially in a Tennessee offense. Uh, like you said, it was it's hard to separate these guys because usually there'd be like one or two quarterbacks and they'll pick like a team where they're like, they should have called us at C2C so we could have told them what university to go to to be like, you know, good as far as fantasy production. But sometimes they don't choose a, a great school for that. Well, this year, they all were like, yeah, let's go to all the sweet offenses that have like really good, outstanding, like either coaches or scheme or they just have really good people around them. Uh, I know you said like, Tennessee doesn't have a lot of good receivers, but like you said, Jalen Hyatt's getting looked at. I think Tillman's going to probably move up in the draft a little bit more just because of size. They're looking for more bigger size nowadays in the NFL. You always see that like every couple of years, it's like they'll take the smaller receivers that are fast and twitchy. And then two years later, like oh, we need more DK Metcalfs in the league type situation. So they kind of come and go. I do really, really love Nathan Leacock. And I don't know if you're a big fan of his or not, but he had an opportunity to either go to, he, he's from North Carolina, but he had a chance to go to state North Carolina here at the Tar Heels. So I was really hoping he chose Tennessee, but I don't blame him for choosing Heupel's offense, to be honest with you. So I think Nico's got some tools around him, especially in the future, to set him up for some big production. So I definitely would be taking Nico over Arch in CFF Dynasty. I know that's maybe controversial to some, but it actually just makes more sense the more that we're breaking it down and kind of talking it through this episode. Me personally, I would still take Dante, but it's only just because I just see the overall improvement and I just see Dante as a uh, like a starter, like almost in the next couple games, to be honest with you. So that's the only reason that I would push Dante, but I definitely can see your point of view of taking Nico, uh, you know, very early. So say, you know, we had the comparison, we had Dante on the board, we had Nico, we had Zachariah Branch, and then, you know, take uh, Cedric Baxter, who are you taking in CFF Dynasty if you had the one-on-one, for example? I think I'm taking Nico. I, I really, really do. I just think it's I. Th- this made it so difficult to grade him out for C2C and where to rank him this year because, like, I don't yeah. know if he's a real NFL quarterback. There's a lot of red flags here, but he's just going to put up crazy numbers there. I, I think of all of them, he has the clearest path to play time in a good offense with good players around him. Like, he just kind of checks all the boxes. So I, I would take him 101 over any of the other guys personally. 
Well, there you go. So something for our listeners to think about if, as far as our guys on YouTube to kind of check things out. Um, you know, is it possible Nico's 101 for CFF Dynasty? That's uh, going to be up to you guys. And you got to know your league mate. So it's also who do you think is they're going to take and stuff like that. So if Nico is able to fall a couple of places, you might be able to get a good steal. So definitely remember Nico's name uh, during the freshman drafts. So we're going to move on to Mr. Jackson Arnold. And, of course, he is on three consensus, 98.94, but he was a five-star plus on there as well. So everybody said he was, uh, you know, a five-star committed to Oklahoma University, another sweet offense that he could go to. He is the Elite 11 winner for 2022. Um, so a lot of people got to see him firsthand and stuff like that. I know some of the guys, I think David and a few others, were able to kind of check out the Elite 11 and see these prospects and play. Jackson Arnold, I think, is very interesting. He got a little bit of look, I believe, Saturday as well during the spring game. Looks like he's still, you know, trying to figure things out a little bit. But, you know, Dylan Gabriel, you know, didn't do much better, I'll be honest with you. And I have him really as a starter in CF Dynasty. Literally, it's him and Drake May for me. So, like, I'm really hoping that Gabriel just remembers how to play football, you know, like he did like a year or so ago before things kind of fell off the radars with his injury and stuff. But Jackson Arnold is a very good fit for Oklahoma, especially with the arm uh, strength that he has, the talent that he has. Uh, he's another guy that I think in general – has a lot of uh, he's just an overall good player, if that makes sense. Like he's still got some holes and things like that. But I wanted to get your aspect as far as what you thought of Jackson Arnold. I know some you know podcast episodes you said you might be down on Arnold a little bit, but I just want to see like your point of view as far as him at Oklahoma and how he stacks up in C2C and CFF. Yeah, QB4 for me in C2C, and he would probably be my QB4 in CFF as well. Um, you know, just kind of juggling some of these top guys around. I think he'd occupy. The same spot. I think the Elite 11 stuff is really is really cool, but I think the problem with the Elite 11 clean, like you know, almost like a sterile environment to work out of. So I don't know that the the guys that perform really well there always are necessarily like the best quarterbacks. Once you put a helmet and pads and put them in a game, because I think we all know that you know a college football game or a, really a football game as a whole, it's not really a sterile environment. You know, things things happen. And, and you know the plays break down you got to kind of work around it so i think my questions with him are just related to he doesn't quite have the tools that some of the other guys have that i have above him you know he's not i don't think his arm is quite as good as a guy like malachi nelson um uh, or, or even really arch like i think his arm is probably just a little bit of a tear down from those guys he is mobile but again probably not as mobile as a guy like arch like i, th- I think arch is probably a little more mobile than him he I, he didn't test the middle of the field a ton in, in high school either. And part of that probably scheme, he was playing pretty high level Texas football overall. I think he's like a clean prospect with a little more going on for him than a guy like Kate Klubnick who won elite 11 the year before him. But I think you're going to start to run into some of the same issues with the two of them where it's just like, the, the arm strength isn't always going to be there, even though I think it's probably adequate. Like the accuracy isn't always going to be perfect, even though I think a lot of the time, especially within structure, it will be. So I think some of these things that come together, like I, I still really like him. Like I think, you know, in, in a lot of other classes, maybe he'd be like my QB2, QB3. It's just such a really good class this year that, that he gets bumped down. I think that he can be, um, you know, lead Oklahoma to... I guess they're going to be in the SEC. I don't know. Maybe they don't win the SEC when he's there. But I, I think they'll they'll be a consistent what they usually are. And I I think he is an NFL player or, or can be an NFL player. I just think if you're starting to parse out some of these really small differences between them, it really does start to matter in terms of like, you know, 
is the hundredth percentile outcome for him the same as the hundred percentile outcome for Malachi Nelson, for Dante Moore, for even Nico probably has a better hundredth percentile outcome. It's just I think his his floor is way lower. So it, it you really have to take all those things into account. But I think still a first round guy in C two C drafts, probably still a first round guy in CFF drafts, and I think he's basically just an upgraded version of Dylan Gabriel, like in every way. So they won't really have to change the offense at all for him, which is nice. Yeah, he's definitely scheme friendly when it comes to Oklahoma. Um, so I wanted to ask you a question, and it's just general transparency and things like that. But do you think be, uh, the Elite 11, the process and then winning that, do you think that overhypes a prospect? Do you think it's beneficial? Like, do you think the process of being in the Elite 11 really kind of shows us who's the cream of the crop, per se, like we have in the episode? Like, what what is your thoughts on that? Do you think because Arnold has the tag of the winner, just like Klubnik, that, you know, he's going to be looked at higher than, say, a Malachi Nelson? But or do you think that hurts in the long run because there's just higher expectations now? Yeah, I don't know that it hurts. I think the Elite 11 is a really cool competition. Like, I am not going to knock it because I think it's really – one of the probably, I mean, it's there's no other real way to kind of pit these guys against each other and figure out. I like, love it. I watch it every year. Better. So, yeah. What I, what I do think, really, over the past couple of years, except for the Caleb year, where when you watched the Caleb the year Caleb Williams won it a couple of years ago, uh, he was obviously like the top quarterback in high school that year, and and there were some other considerations that year. They take like part of it's like what happens there, and then part of it is they go and watch your high school film, and then that factors into the grade. So it's just to me, it always seems like very ripe for kind of predetermining like who you want to win and then kind of weighing it from there. I, I'm not accusing them of that. I'm just saying like it, there, there's not a lot of, it's not really out in the open in terms of like how this thing is calculated right. really at the end of the day. I thought David was there at the final. He said he thought he was really, really good. Dante Moore was, I thought da- Dante Moore was the guy that I projected to win it. Cause I think this kind of thought he was going to. Yeah. works well for him. And I had, I had heard good things about him when he was there. I, they do a good job of getting the best guys there. I just don't always agree with how they choose the winner. So I think, you know, does this raise expectations for him? Maybe, but I think expectations were already pretty high to begin with. So I don't I don't know that this changes that much for him. But was he like the deserved winner? I mean, I wasn't there, so I can't say it for sure. But I don't know that he was. Like, I think it's just kind of a, you know, a, a, a small title that you can kind of pin on your resume at some point. Yeah, and we're not criticizing the little letter or anything like that. It's just exactly. a general question, just because Jackson Arnold was so middle of the pack when it comes to recruiting. You know, when I started to look at, you know, this class and stuff like that, I'm just like, yeah, Arnold's pretty good. And then all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere and wins the little 11. And then it's just like his name became everywhere. And, you know, he got those extra offers committed to Oklahoma. So I know it like helped his stock and to begin with, but I was just curious to see, you know, as far well, as like. Bruning was at his regional right, down yeah. in, I forget which, I don't know if he went to Dallas or which one. Matt went to, mm-hmm. uh, but he thought then that's where he saw, he saw him play and he saw Austin Novosad play. And that's how Matt right. kind of fell in love with Austin Novosad. Uh, and he, he said that he thought Novosad was by far the best guy there. Like in terms of like mm-hmm. active arm kind of, you know, just, just all the different drills they have them do. He thought he looked significantly better than Arnold. So yeah. I, I, I do, tr- I trust Matt. And when, you know, David said he didn't think he was the best guy there at the final either. I mean, it just starts, you start to wonder, you know, and uh, all this stuff's subjective anyway. I wonder if the, it'll change because of Dilfer, you know, being at UAB and stuff like that. If now things, maybe the format will change. So I'm definitely interested in the, the Elite 11 this year for sure. So definitely we'll have our eyes peeled 
All right, we're going to move to our last cream of the crop guy. And this is, of course, the cream of the crop just means the very highest tier of quarterbacks. We're going to talk about a few sleepers. One, we just mentioned Mr. Austin Novosad, but there's another guy of Oregon State who I think could take over as well after next year. But let's talk about Mr. Malachi Nelson. We just talked about his teammate uh, last week. We talked about Los Alamitos High School. We talked about Mr. Damian Henderson, who was my first big fish small pond at running back. But Mr. Malachi Nelson is on three consists 98.80. He is a five-star plus. He did commit to uh, USC alongside his buddy, Makai Lemon, who also played there at Los Alamitos High School. So Los Alamitos, high-end California when it comes to overall as well. Most of these guys had transferred from another school at one point. I'm not sure if Malachi did or not, but I know Damien did, and I'm not sure if Makai did either. But they moved from other California schools to be at this school to compete at the higher level of California to go for state championships and things like that as well. Uh, Malachi, I'd say accuracy-wise, like you were talking about, probably one of my favorites. Uh, swagger, if that makes any difference. I definitely like the swag of Malachi Nelson. I think he fits USC to a T. Um, and though he struggled a little bit in spring game, I think that's just getting used to the style or getting used to the actual speed of college. Like you can only practice that so much in, in actual practices, right, in spring and then during the summer. But when you're actually in a game mode, whether it's a spring game or in live competition, like that speed, you just have to kind of get used to it and get your reps in and things like that. So Malachi, I think, is one where it's like you're just kind of sit and wait. I still don't understand what Miller Moss is doing there, dude. Like, is it just is is he getting fed? Like, is he just getting NIL money just to be the second guy this year? Why Malachi just learns? Like, what's the deal with Miller Moss? Why isn't he transferred yet? Yeah, I don't. He what's a blue uh, Blue Mountain State with the backup quarterback? And he says, yeah, like, best job. Maybe he just he's watched a lot of that. The like, yeah, that is the best job. That is the best job. I can honestly, do that. It's, it's what the beach. I'm um, in Southern California, right? It would be hard to say no to USC. I mean, I get it. He might have a girlfriend there. You know, there's the whole girlfriend narrative. Maybe he's got a cool yes. roommate. I don't know. You never know. There might be nepotism somewhere we're not aware of. You never know. So. I was just on him. Miller Moss is still there. He looked okay. And I think Miller Moss was probably a little bit more composed for the first couple series than Malachi, but you could see where Malachi was starting to get uh, into a swing of things as he's progressed with the, his series that he had in the spring game and things like that. So for you, um, Malachi is probably, I would have to say he's probably one of your top C2C, I would probably say. Like, number one. He, yeah, he's he, number he, one. He graded out yeah. best for me this year. Yeah. And uh, I would agree, like, if I, if I knew for sure that he could play this year, which is not going to be the case unless something weird happens with Caleb Williams, but Caleb Williams is, you know, going to be first overall quarterback. Him and Drake May are going to battle for 101-102 next year in the NFL draft. So it's going to be hard for him to get on the field unless weird circumstances happen, and we don't wish that on anybody. But Malachi, as far as CFF dynasty, if I didn't have to wait the year, but this is another – we call it another like uh you know Devin Brown type situation where it's like you hoping that you take him for one year, you sit on him, you hope he starts, but you know, things happen like an injury in camp, things like that. So for now we have uh Mr. Kyle McCord kind of in the lead there at Ohio State. But I kind of see a similar in, uh situation where you you take him and you sit, but in C2C, that's way different, right? Because he's gonna probably be an NFL stud. He definitely has the tangibles to do it. So what do you like about Malachi and why do you think he's your one oh one in C2C? Yeah, my my reports on him this year were kind of embarrassingly gushing. Um, he is bar none the most accurate high school quarterback that I have ever watched um, in terms of, you know, just like general accuracy and ball placement as well. I think he's just excellent at both, just a very effortless thrower. Uh, I didn't expect it from watching him, but our recruiting guys will chart, you know, quarterback throwing velocity. They have velocity over expected where it kind of takes into account the distance of the throw, how hard you throw it, and they kind of triangulate some 
weird math stuff that goes over my head and it gives you a number. His he had like a top seven or eight arm in the class of all the guys they looked at, which kind of surprised me. I didn't think he had a noodle by any stretch, but I definitely didn't think that he was necessarily walking out there with a the cannon either. But apparently uh, he has a pretty dang good arm. Uh, so, you know, good touch thrower can make a lot of those opposite hash throws. He actually had a beautiful opposite hash throw in the spring game that was dropped by, I, I was told Dorian Singer after the fact, Dorian Singer also dropped what should have been a touchdown to him in the corner of the end zone. Um, so I like people that were saying he had no, he looked really poor and had no good throws in the day. I would, I would push back on that a little bit. I thought he had a couple of really good ones, even without my Malachi Nelson, you know, rose colored glasses on, but obviously struggled, struggled a little bit with the pass rush there. I think his big weaknesses are basically just the, like he, like Nico is very slight and doesn't love to run either, but I think he probably does it a little better than Nico at this stage. Want to see him gain a little bit of weight. Um, and that's really it. Like I'm actually not that worried about, you know, Dylan Rayola supposedly going there in 2024. Uh, I think he's better than Rayola uh, just straight up. I think Rayola probably, you know, has a, a more physical tools, but I think Nelson's a better quarterback. So I, I'm not that worried if another guy comes in after him. And Lincoln Riley, man, like it's just really hard to argue that like pretty much every quarterback he touches at the moment just turns to to gold. So I I, I just think he's he's such a safe bet. The sitting the year and the fact that they're moving to the Big Ten drops him just below um, you know Nico, and then he'd he'd be fighting with Dante Moore for kind of that second spot if I'm playing a CFF dynasty. But in a C two C, he's he's my top quarterback in the class. Yeah, he's definitely got. Um... He reminds a little bit the way he's able to kind of side throw like Patrick Mahomes a little bit like that. He's just got that overall swagger and just I absolutely agree. Like I really feel like he should put on a little bit more weight, but I think that happens with a good weight training program, stuff like that. USC has got a very good one out there. I have a friend out there that she helps with the volleyball team. So if anything, I'll just be like, yo, just make Malika eat and he'll be good to go. So, you know, <laughs> if I have he, to, I'll just put in the words. So. And he probably couldn't really throw that or, you know, lift that much this offseason. He had uh, short, right. uh, surgery on his non-throwing shoulder, which I think is right. important to note. It wasn't on, it wasn't on that right hand. It was on the uh, right shoulder. It was the other one. So I, he probably, he didn't really gain that much weight, but he also probably couldn't do a lot of this stuff or at least not necessarily fully. So he didn't gain that much weight this, this spring, but I'm like tentatively hopeful that he can do it over the summer a little bit. And then over the next year, since he won't really be getting a ton of game reps, he can, you know, lift a little bit heavier when it's, when it's in season. For sure. And it also puts out a good point, like when players come back from injury, you know, they want to take it a bit slower. They want to just see how the body feels. And this is like other than practice and going up against his, you know, he's going up against his own teammates. But in a spring game where it feels like a game day, like this is his first time where his, you know, both shoulders are kind of getting the work that it's usually getting in a game type situation. So I feel like we have to put that in comparison as well. Um, Am I crazy that, you know, want to still take Malachi Nelson over Nico in a CFO dynasty? Like, does that thought cross your mind? Just as like he's worth the wait, basically. It's like, yeah, you have one less year, but you're getting going to get three years of like amazing production. And he's just one of those guys you just put in a CFO dynasty, even in redraft, like even next year, like, you know, he's automatically going to probably be considered a first rounder just because he's literally just taking the spot of Caleb Williams, basically. So, so yeah, I mean, thoughts there. One of the big arguments that we've really been talking a lot more, uh, especially C2C related, but I think it also factors into CFF Dynasty, is that not only like is it is it important with a first round pick to not just like totally whiff on, on a first round pick and like lose immediate value, but I think there's also a lot of value in drafting a guy that is almost assuredly not going to lose any value in his first year because he's not really playing. So if you draft a guy like Malachi, like, yes, I think the odds are very low that he ever starts a game as a freshman 
unless something happens to Caleb and, you know, Moss goes down. I mean, we've seen it before at USC. Keon, Keon Slovis was yeah, certainly not supposed to do that. And I don't believe JT Daniels really was either, uh, or Jackson Dart was either. So, like, they, they, they have a history of kind of that, that second or third guy getting their shot. But I think there's just value in, like, he's going to go to a premier offense at a premier program with premier weapons, and he's definitely not going to lose value this year. And I think that can be a very valuable thing. If you're – eye catches another shiny thing next offseason, you can always move him along for something else and probably recoup equal, if not better value. Like his value honestly probably increases over the year, despite the fact that he probably doesn't play at all. So I think he's just the kind of guy where like if you're in a C2C startup or or supplemental draft or certainly CFF Dynasty as well, like the value just isn't going to go anywhere. We, we've seen it before. Spencer Rattler, like his value went up. He didn't play at all as a freshman. Uh, Caleb did play, but his value certainly went up as well. Like, I think it's just, it's going to happen. It's matter of factly. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, uh, he's worth the, it's the, you know, the risk of waiting a year versus the reward. I think it's worth the reward. And like you're saying, like Rayola, he gets crystal ball to a different team, like every time he visits. So it's like, I'm really not worried about it, but if I'm being honest with you, like Malachi Nelson's going to be a year into the system. So even if Rayola does come to USC, Nelson has the advantage to start already. So once again, he doesn't lose his value. Right. Yeah. So I think that's going to be pretty important, man. All right, so there's a couple of ones that I didn't add on the spreadsheet or anything like that, but it's one that I wanted to uh, kind of just bring up. So a couple of guys, one was Austin Novosad. Originally was, was going to go to Baylor, but, he, you know, uh, things happen where it's like, hey, Bo Nix is coming. Uh, Dante Moore went to UCLA. So it opened up an opportunity for Novosad to choose Oregon. And I think that's really good as far as offensive scheme and stuff like that. So do you think Novosad at Oregon would it's a, definitely picture interest a lot better versus going to Baylor per se? I'm assuming and that's an absolute yes, but you know, I always ask just to make sure. So no, I think it's the answer is probably I'm not I, I'm not low on Novasad for the record. He's my QB 15 in the class. Like it's a little lower than where the recruiting services have him, but it's not like I hate him or anything. I think my problem with him is that I'm just not sure there's there's a ceiling there. So when I'm talking about like C2C type stuff, I have a hard time projecting him as well as we can project high school quarterbacks to the NFL of saying that he probably has like future NFL starter upside. I'm not sure I quite see that level with him, but I do think it's unlikely that he gets recruited over. I think that he has some good skill guys there that bring in jury on Dickey this year. You know, we'll see if a guy like Troy Franklin or something comes back. I, I suspect not, but I think you'll have some players there to throw to. Um, really the only guy that I think Oregon's in on in the next class from what I've seen is uh, Marco Van Buren, who I actually saw right. at his uh, Elite 11 regional last year as a junior. Uh, and I thought he was fine, but I was not blown away by any stretch of the imagination when I watched him. So I'm not sure that Van Buren's even necessarily better than he is. So I, I like him. I think he's a safe pick. I don't know that there's upside there. Like I would rather swing for the fences and go with like a Lenore Sellers or something like that if I had to take a guy. Yeah. Um, like just, you know, the, the, he supposedly is a very, is an excellent athlete, Nova said, but he doesn't really show it on tape. So it's kind of one of those, like, is it a uh, unwillingness to do it? Do they not want him to do it? Some of the same conversations we're having about CJ Stroud right now, to be honest, for the NFL. Yeah. Um, do you think it's just like a game time thing where Nova said just kind of turns it on during high pressure situations, whether it's elite 11 or maybe it's a, a game situation, like a state championship, is that where Nova had kind of shines brighter or do you think it just doesn't translate in practice or on tape and things like that? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I know he, Matt, like 
has texted with him and he knows him and he he's kind of plays for an underdog high school they just moved up i believe a classification in texas Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a bump up for them this year and he still took them to like state playoffs and stuff and had a lot of success so like i do think he does have like some of that gamer to him i'm just not sure and tools aren't everything but i'm just not sure that like the the excellent tools are there and i'm not sure i'm really not sure actually what the system is really going to be at oregon in the next couple years with no kenny dillingham there like i'm interested to see what they end up doing because they've been they're bringing a lot of these thumper backs like i'm a little worried it's kind of a little bit more ground and pound i i don't really know uh only time we're gonna tell um i'm gonna bring up another one and then of course we uh we did have dju he did transfer from clemson over to oregon state he is the incumbent you know qb1 already talking smack about clemson and, and dabo from what i see on <laughs> online so hey the internet right uh but there's a guy behind him that absolutely shined bright during the spring game that's mr aiden childs um definitely a fan and i like the system that that goes on as well so what do you like about aiden childs and do you think the fit there would probably move him over would you put aiden childs maybe over i mean would he be over nova's hat would he be over manning would he be over one of these guys that we talked about with the cream of crop if you're choosing for cff dynasty purposes yeah i had child as child as my qb8 overall in my c2c rankings and he'd probably fall similar ish i i didn't sit down and, and kind of figure out some of these lower guys where they would be if it was a cff draft um but i really really like him i had the opportunity to sit down with his uh quarterback coach and talk to him a little bit about childs and he basically just said like he coaches he he's all he was also jalen daniels quarterback coach at kansas like he coaches okay. a lot of these kind of I like that uh diamond in the rough type quarterbacks from california and the west coast overall um that's kind of his niche i don't don't even know how he finds some of these guys it it was a really good conversation with him um but he was basically just saying that like he was kind of a late bloomer but when you looked at him like he he watched like two minutes of him and he was like yeah i need to coach this kid like he's tall he's athletic he kind of plays a little bit like backdoor you know backyard football at times but not in a bad way like he's not like he's reckless or just totally you know ignoring whatever the offense wants him to do it's just so when things break down i think he's one of the better guys in this class at figuring out a solution to a problem which is you know quarterbacking 101 i think there's rushing upside here a little bit i think uh, we did not chart him with an excellent arm but everybody that's seen him throw live says that he throws with a ton of pop so um tbd there but i think the arm strength is pretty good um i i really my summarizing note on my notes for him is he's just way too good for oregon state so we'll see if he even stays there for his whole career. He might have me one of those guys that plays a year and is really good and then kind of gets his uh, his shot somewhere else. But I think he's I, – I definitely think he is a potential NFL quarterback. I definitely think that he's a potential – it wouldn't shock me if he starts a game or two this year. Like, let's be honest. If DJ's crap and they're struggling, like, you know, I wouldn't I, – it wouldn't surprise me if they just give him a chance. They've done it in the past with quarterbacks there. That staff is not afraid to do that. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up is, uh, one, he's in a – if he's a rush-friendly quarterback, he's in a rush-friendly system. I know they have Damian Martinez, but as a whole, as a team, they're definitely more like rush with the run-pass option. They definitely have that in them. And DJU's like, yeah, he's gone to a lower competition per se, but who's to say that he's not going to be the same DJU? I mean, we're not going to know until we really see it in real time, right? So who's to say that Aiden Chow's doesn't start game eight? game seven, you know, things like that. I mean, I haven't really taken a look at Oregon State's schedule, but there's got to be a breaking point where, like, if they're not winning by a certain amount of games, when are they going to sit DJU, if that's the case? I mean, if DJU goes out guns blazing, 
he's going to be a, a, a grab and wait type situation. But because I think that DJU is not the DJU that he was recruited as initially, uh, that's just personal opinion that I just don't think he translated, you know, from his recruitment all the way into his college years. I, I still think Aiden Childs gets on the field this year, and I think he's got the tangibles. Let's hope he doesn't transfer to a, a quarterback needy T like an Alabama where, you know, now do we really see the rushing upside anymore? Do we see, you know, does – the receivers, you know, things like that, where it's like, does the CFF value drop basically? So now that we've talked about, you know, all these guys in motion, what would you say if you could give me, I don't know, uh, between the the ones we talked about and maybe Childs and Novasad, what would be your like one-on-one down? Can you give me a list real quick off the top of your head? Yeah. So if we're just talking purely CFF, I think it would be, like I said, you know, Nico number one, then you have kind of Malachi Nelson and Dante Moore as a, a 2A, 2B. I would take Jackson Arnold fourth. I would take Arch Manning fifth. Then after that, I think I'm looking at some some combination for pure CFF of Childs. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at um, um, Novasad, Lenora Sellers yep. at South Carolina. Who I think you know if he takes that job, he's um, got a lot of qual- athletic qualities that that make him very very intriguing. Um, and then I actually want to put two other guys in that category as well. I want to put sure. Jaden Rashada in there, the Arizona okay. State quarterback. I think it's just a matter of time before we see him there. And we'll see you know, exactly what kind of weapons they can put around him. But it sounds like they're already trying with Jordan Hudson potentially coming over and maybe some of these other guys. So, And then the one other guy that I think is really, really intriguing, and I have him significantly higher for pure CFF, is Brady Drogish, the, the quarterback that's going to Cincy. Okay, I yeah. Think the reports out of spring were fairly positive about him. He apparently looked pretty good in their mm-hmm. spring game overall. I'm not entirely sure how good the weapons will be around him, but Satterfield loves that Russian quarterback, and he definitely has notes of uh, – let me see if I have a comp for him in my notes here. I I, I liked him a lot. I thought he, he was mobile enough where I think he's really, really interesting there with Satterfield. So I think those guys are all kind of in uh, lumped in a tier – uh, with each other as well. I don't know. Again, you know, NFL upside with Drogic. I'm not really sure, but I don't know that I really care that much. So those are some of the guys that I just have circled that I I really really like uh, for CFF. And I think uh, Emory Jones, who's at Cincy now, right? He's only got one year finally left. I think now uh, he's out of eligibility, or does Dude, he still have like the COVID one left in his old. pocket? He can't have that much left. <laughs> but he's also rushing one. But... Yeah, but the quarterback fits the one. And then there's a freshman wide receiver who did really good to go along with the freshman. I keep forgetting his yeah, name. I apologize. Brady Jackson? Is that? Yes, I think it is Jackson. Yeah. And Jackson's a guy that I would be looking at pretty highly as far as the, the first couple rounds in CFF, and especially in Dynasty or in freshman supplemental in general. I mean, there's got to be uh guys like a Brady Jackson you would take over a supplemental pick that you know might be sitting on the board and stuff like that for you as well um but I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with you I the only thing I'd say is like for me like if I was the 101 in Dynasty honestly I'd take Malachi Nelson and just hold on for dear life and then just you know hope that the football gods grant you with a full season of Malachi next season uh I really love Dante but it would be hard for me to take uh uh, Dante over Nico as far as opportunity right away per se. Um, but those will be my top three. Uh, I, I'm definitely with the agreements with you there to go on with it. Uh, but I am now ready to introduce you, sir, to the big fish, small pond. And I made this Maybe. one specifically for you. What if I told you that this player got an offer from your Pitt Panthers? He is a quarterback. He is six, four over 200 pounds. He went to the elite 11 uh, Las Vegas uh, one. Would that uh, spark your interest at all, by chance? 
Do you want do you want my my snarky answer? That would interest me. Pitt offers everybody, so that part's not that true. Interesting. But wait till we but, get the other offers. Those were but, those were pretty fancy. But yes, that would at least catch catch my interest. Okay. Well, what if I told you that the university that uh, that took him, he is the highest rated quarterback in their history? Would that interest you? Ooh, yes. Okay, I'm starting to get more interested now. Okay, so this is G five, right? What if I told you it's San Diego State? Okay. Okay. And then what if I told you that the their office coordinator that got hired from San Diego State is their best passer or best passer of all time? So he used to be their best quarterback of all time. So now, now we have all this on that one. Are you ready to find out who it is? My interest is officially peaked. Yes. Okay, let's do it. And it is Mr. Javance Tupuata Johnson. He just likes to go by Javance or JTJ. So we'll just call him JTJ, but Mr. Javance Johnson here on three consensus, 86.45. Um, he is three-star prospect and he committed to San Diego State University. His measurements, he's six foot four, over 200 pounds. I think he's gotten a little bit beefier as well. Uh, he's going to come in a little bit later, so we'll talk about that. He's the 38th quarterback in the QB class, and that's 24-7 sports. And he did transfer from his old high school to Chaminade High School there in California. I'm not sure if they competed with Los Alamitos, but I was told it is a decent California as far as school and competition and a big jump up from where he was as well. So knowing that, Austin, what do you think so far about a fit for a six foot four, over two hundred pound quarterback that's going to San Diego State? What are your thoughts there? I like it a lot. I'm very interested, and I know our recruiting team likes him a lot as well. I believe we have him. Oh, I didn't get a chance to talk to him yet. Over QB thirty eight, like we're better than that. So oh. overall, I I am very very interested in him. Yes. So he. He was the one that I, because I'm big on eye tests. So literally just looking at it, because I like analytics, but I like to go to the the professionals. So I'll go to a big wide receiver guy. I'll, you know, I'll talk to those guys over the recruiting department. Sometimes I'll hop in one of you guys' DMs and get your thoughts and things like that. But just looking at him as far as the Elite 11 and coming from what I saw from his junior tape to his senior tape, it's a night and day difference, Austin. And that's what I like about it. So he is a dual threat quarterback. That's another thing that I'm going to pop on you there. So like we talked about highest QB uh, recruit, San Diego State history. He's coming in during the summer, so he's going to be a little bit behind, but that doesn't mean they can't start because honestly, I'll be very honest, there's a bunch of scrubs that are in front of him at San Diego State who's okay. Um, looking at the spring game, each one of them, Jalen Maiden, and then I think there's Kyle Crum. Jalen Maiden is from Mississippi State. He's just one of those outcasts that just you know didn't work in that system per se um, and decided to move over there as well, so he dropped down. But he only had like one touchdown and it was to the uh, I think his last name is Redmond. He was the transfer of one of the bigger uh, universities as a tight end. So San Diego State was usually known for two things. One, a running back because we had some pretty good successful running backs that come out of San Diego State as far as college production is concerned. But also the tight end use has been pretty good with Bellinger and a few other ones, I believe, in the past as well. So but with the dual threat capability and this new offensive coordinator, I think the San Diego State is going to start turning it around where they're getting it now. I'll be honest with you, Austin. Wide receivers, they don't look impressive from what I saw from the 2020 uh, one when I was looking at uh, Nicholas Enel Allen's uh, team page from last year. So returning production, I mean, they're going to get a little bit better because they're from last year, right? But at the same time, like, you know, there's there's some doubt there. But with Redmond at tight end, uh, a, a decent enough running back, uh, you know, core there to go along with it. I love the dual threat aspect where I think if they can get to the end zone, that JTJ uh, would, would wreak havoc on especially the Mountain West and stuff like that, because there's not too, too many teams uh, that could probably stop him so far. So 
I, I think he could be a really, really special talent, man. And then let's look at these offers. Uh, here's what I wanted to show you. Yes, Pitts, Pittsburgh did offer, right? But look at this, Florida State, Oregon. <laughs> we also had Arizona State, which is intriguing. Kansas, look at Jalen Daniels and what he's doing. He's way smaller. And then you got Nevada, Toledo, all these great uh, you know G5 schools and stuff like that, BYU. And then, of course, he chose San Diego State. Uh, there was even San Jose State who offered our boy Damian Henderson last week as well. So uh, he got a lot of offers. The Florida State one in particular and the Kansas one sparked my interest just because of the quarterbacks that they have now and having similar traits, I'd say, but Javance being way taller. So now that I've offered you this piece of pie here that is the, the Big Fish Small Pond, what are your thoughts on Javance? I mean, I know he's coming in for the summer, but I don't think he has too much you know, to, to get to the – to the QB one, man. Like, what do you think about this, uh, about the prospect of JTJ starting for San Diego state this year? Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I, um, I didn't grade him for our, our, our consensus rankings, but I did get to watch him a little bit. Cause like I said, our, our recruiting team did, uh, like him a decent amount. I believe Alfred in particular had him, uh, fairly high in his rankings. I think with any of these guys coming in, like the, the, the rushing ability is huge for him. And I think at a small school like that, even if he's not there as a passer, just gives him such like a, you know, a, it's, it's a much longer runway towards success if you can do, you know, work with your legs. So I, I actually really like him. I think he's definitely a stash guy with the upside for a lot more than just being a stash guy at this stage. So knowing what he's got going on, the university attends, the offers, you know, his his pedigree and things like that. And a freshman supplemental, you know, would you take him? Where, where would be a comfortable spot, would you say? I know you don't have him graded per se, but I know there's got to be some options there where you'd rather have him per se maybe than some of the other supplemental guys that are just kind of chilling on the board still. Yeah, for a, a C2C league, you know, I, I have 23 draftable quarterbacks this year. And and, and I, like I said, I didn't grade him, but I, I don't think he would have quite squeezed into that group. Um, but, you know, that's accounting for NFL stuff, too. You know, if I was just doing a pure CFF draft, guys that I have as draftable that I'd probably take him over. I'd probably take him over a guy like Brock Glenn, who's a Florida mm-hmm. State. I'd probably take him over Chris Vizina. I know he's a very highly rated guy at Clemson, but I am not a fan at all. And I think, Me you neither. Know, that's why we he didn't make this list. <laughs> why not do it at Clemson? So where does he go? Right. I don't like having to play that guessing game of where does he end up? So I mean, guys like the the two Bama guys, I don't think that much of them. Holstein and um, um, uh, doesn't matter. I don't like either of them. So like, I, I think <laughs> that he he can fit in perfectly uh, in a list and be a really really uh, nice CFF guy. And again, probably not a guy. I mean, it's it's so tough to dismiss these guys like this early in his career. Probably not an NFL guy, so you probably get maximum time with him in college, which is also a nice a nice added bonus there. Yep. And then speaking of like CFF and stuff like that, he is half Tongan. So when he was growing up, he he idolized Mariota in Oregon, basically. Oh, okay. So okay. the Oregon offer, that's where the ties and stuff like that are in there. So a lot of his gameplay is Mariota, but a much more mobile version of Mariota, if that makes sense. So you definitely can find a guy. And what did Mariota love? He loved tight ends. So it's just like, you know, if, if we're looking at similar traits and stuff like that, is he a Mariota like high end where he's going to be drafted like high over in the NFL? Probably not. But if he's like, a, I wouldn't say even a poor man's, I'd just say a step down from Mariota's game and stuff like that. He could wreak havoc in the CFF, man. He's one of those guys where, uh, I, I, you know, you're not taking him in the first couple rounds. There's just too much good talent and too many like higher end freshmen like a Zachariah Branch, you know, Leacock. There's a bunch of these great receivers, running backs, quarterbacks like Baxter, all those guys that you just want to take a of them but he's a guy that we 
definitely need to take a you know a you know pay attention to just like Damian Henderson, where I think Henderson should have moved. He should move immediately to the three or four uh, four rounds there for CFF Dynasty, just because I think he's going to get used with Morrow being suspended stuff like that. Javis has got a very similar situation going on to where like he just doesn't have the talent in front of him. Him being the highest recruit and having a quarterback uh, that is now OC, like that just it all ties in. I just think it's a perfect storm for him. I think San Diego State would be a good fit, especially for his rushing upside. So if we're looking at a uh, you know Cam Newton. S type rushing, you know, scoring type situation. He's kind of a cheat code, if that makes sense. So I yeah. definitely think we should be looking at him. Uh, I would say probably within the first 10 rounds and just store him. Like, it's just one of those things where like, you could even get him at the end. We might even be talking to this guy about redraft at the end of the season. We're not even, you know, we're not even sure, but with, you know, the G five and stuff like that, we've seen it to where their quarterbacks, you know, we talk about Colin Schley, like when his Kent state, it was just a perfect storm for him to have Tez Walker, that offense, you know, that head coach and stuff like that. We're not saying that this is a high arm type guy per se, even though he's got a good arm. It's just for the rushing upside and then the opportunity. We're looking at that as well. So final thoughts on Mr. JT Jabe, sir. No, I mean, I think I can't find our velocity over expected numbers for throwing, but I'm pretty sure he graded out pretty well there too. So I think, you know, the, the physical tools are pretty much all there for him. I agree. So keep Mr. Javance in your thoughts. And when you're kind of looking into your freshman supplemental drafts, I know they're a couple months away. Some of you guys might be doing even sooner than that. Or if you're doing a startup, he's the one that you could take later on. Even in a C2C, I'd say, you know, the late, what, 40 something rounds that you can have, right, Austin? You could probably take them fairly late in the C2C as well. So uh, once again, Austin, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, Is there anything that you want to plug before we uh, wrap it up for the day, man? No, I just say, you know, go check out campuscant.com. Even if you're not sure if you want to be a member, we have a lot of things over there for you. You know, the articles all on the podcast, YouTube page, kind of go get a flavor, a taste of what we're doing. Um, and um, try a new college format this year. You know, if you've only played CFF, maybe go try a C2C league or a Debbie league. And and if you know, you're the opposite, do vice versa. You'll be surprised how much more well-rounded your knowledge base gets and, you know, really kind of looking at some of these players through a different light can sometimes uh, be uh, strengthen your other areas. So go, go try a new format this year. That's my, my plea, my call to action to everybody listening here today. I completely agree. It just makes us better fantasy players. And then it just helps us all around. Just be able to scout out that talent that we're doing, you know, on this episode as well. Uh, I also want to plug, please, the, the Devi guides coming out really, really soon. So please go check that out. I know we said at the beginning, 20 bucks, or if you're an NIL team member already, you'll be getting that the first of the month. It'll be sent to your email. So please go check that out. Um, anything and everything. Also go please check out that player comparison tool. Just the fact that <laughs> seeing a running back in Tennessee being compared to Bo Jackson was mind blowing. I just think that we're kind of missing that opportunity to go check out some of these players that we're talking about in this episode and go on and seeing what their player comparison tools is. I just think it's outstanding. So a lot of tools and stuff like that at campus, the Canton that a lot of people should just pay attention, uh, you know, more to just because I think it's fantastic. So definitely go check that out and we will return next week with another episode. We'll see you next time. Peace.